Yes, we did a sound check. Yes, it worked a few minutes ago. All right, I don't know how loud I need to be. I am not used to being tethered to a microphone, uh, but I'll keep my mouth here so that you can hear me out there. Uh, it is good to see you out there. <laughs> it has been weird preaching to an empty room, uh, to a bunch of uh, puppets or uh, my active imagination, <clears throat> but it is good to be together. Uh, it's just sweat. It washes off. You know, clothes can be washed. You know, imagine you're at the beach, you know, and you just can't get in the water. <clears throat> it is good to be together. I uh, wish we had, yeah, there should be a couple little pools around, sorry. This morning, I am deviating from Romans to speak about a genuinely Christian voice. And I know that for some of you, you probably wished you could come to church and not keep talking about what's on the news all week, what everybody's talking about, what is eating up our online feeds and, and so on. I'd like to get away from it all. But if I had my way, every church in America would be preaching on it this morning. I don't believe it is something that we need to get away from to divert our attention to something else. I believe it's something God would have us focus on and to pay attention to and to figure out what I think we have had a hard time doing as a church for a long time, but in the midst of this as well, is to find a genuinely Christian voice. Because a lot of times when we go to speak, it either sounds like the left or it sounds like the right or it sounds like some other political affiliation or alignment. But to speak this morning is not political, it's Christian. This morning we are in Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. Hear then the word of God. And it is my prayer. And it is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of our God. Pray with me. Our Father, this morning we have gathered here under the sun in this little breeze for which we give thanks. We have gathered, Father, to give you our worship, to give you our hearts, to give you our minds. Oh, we want to love you with all of our heart and soul, but also with our mind and with our strength. Father, would you help us to hear this morning your word, and help us to find a uniquely Christian voice to speak into the chaos, to speak into the darkness, to speak so that your word may be heard. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. It is interesting to me that it is very rare to hear a truly Christian voice. It either sounds left or it sounds right or it sounds political. It sounds 
confused. It found, sounds aligned. And then when so often you try to speak with a genuinely Christian voice, it's heard politically. So much of the political environment is, is poured into it and heard in it when, when we're trying to say something biblical. Because the Bible speaks to these things. It speaks to everything. It speaks to everything. And it, and it tries to shape in us a mind and a heart that is able to stand uniquely Christianly in each moment. And history has been full of a lot of ugly moments. And each time we are called to stand and to speak uniquely. And so I'm asking you to put aside your political filter this morning, if that's even possible. And to hear me simply as your pastor, speaking from the scripture. We all watched what happened to George Floyd on national television. If you haven't watched it and you've turned it off when it comes on, sit and watch it all the way through. We watched him literally beg for his life. Sixteen times. I can't breathe. Now, by all accounts, and let me just clear these aside, by all accounts, George Floyd was a career criminal. He had a long rap sheet, but that's irrelevant. All agree that the looting and the destruction that went on is wrong and it needs to be handled and dealt with, but that's irrelevant. The police, by and large, are good people doing a hard job. But all those things we have to put aside and say something significant happened. And you can't watch this video. None but the most callous could watch it and not be outraged. Not have some human thing inside of you go numb or break. As human beings, you see it. But especially as Christians, something significant happened. And it was experienced by not just the black community, but by a lot of people as something part of something bigger. It wasn't an isolated moment. What we see happening all over our country and literally all over our world. I don't know if you know there are protests in literally more than 140 U.S. cities. There are protests in Canada, the United Kingdom, in Germany, in Australia, in New Zealand. All over the world, the world is watching and the world is protesting. How can Christians be silent? How can we let ourselves be so distracted by the politicization, politicization, whatever the word is, the polarization, and not be able to find some uniquely Christian things to say into the moment? The world literally is watching. In a momentous and painful week in the life of our country, so much confusion, so much politicking, We cannot in good conscience align ourselves with Black Lives Matters as a political organization. But we can in good conscience as Christians say unequivocally Black Lives Matter. And all lives do matter and sometimes it's going to get watered down. Well, don't white lives matter too? Of course they do. But in context, hear what's being said, which is this Black Lives Matter too. Nobody doubts that our white lives matter. What is in doubt in the moment 
is whether everybody's lives matter because America doesn't seem all the time to demonstrate the truth. I'm saddened that we have become so politicized that we retreat to the left and right in our distinct talking points, in our distinct defensiveness, and we have lost a distinctively Christian voice. I've never used this pulpit for politics, and I never will. I'm not here to preach politics this morning. I'm here to try to say something distinctively Christian. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our feelings and our response to what we see and feel when we watch that video, and as we see the outpouring around the entire world, should be distinctly Christian, biblical, not political, vocal, active, but Christian, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, we need a Christian heart and a Christian mind concerning the moral and the racial issues of our day. And we should have something to say. My goal this morning is very simple, which is to encourage you, to encourage us, to encourage the church, to find our voice, to think and to speak biblically and lovingly into these situations and to be those who who cut through the politics and who cut through the defensiveness and who cut through all the garbage and the noise and the chaos and say something redemptive paul is doing in this text this morning what i'm doing i'm praying for the church for its love to abound more and more in knowledge and a depth of insight that the church would know their scripture, would know their God, can read the cultural moment, and can abound in love in the midst of it. He says he wants love to abound more and more. Who can argue with that? With all the division over COVID, whether this morning we're wearing masks or not wearing masks or inside or outside and, and the whole list goes on of this stuff that, is, that is, has the potential to divide the church. That's why I sent out an article that said, don't let COVID divide your church. Oh, God, have mercy on us as we try to navigate these cloudy waters. Can anyone argue with that prayer for more love in the midst of the riots and the protests? The abundance of love that should come at the very least from the church, from us. Most of what I hear is defensiveness and politics. But what strikes me in this text is not just a prayer for more love. That's pretty amorphous at times, though I think the Bible fills it with content. First Corinthians 13 tells us love is, and it tells us a lot about it. But it says that our love, interestingly, should abound, abound with knowledge and, and depth of insight. Paul is praying for thoughtful, wise, loving Christians. A biblical love like this is hard work because to be knowledgeable and to have a depth of insight takes a little bit of work. 
We're going to have to do something. The love that Paul is teaching us to pray for, that God is teaching us to pray for, requires the thoughtful engagement of the whole person in knowledge and depth of insight. Jesus told us that if you're going to love God well, you're going to have to love him with all of your heart. Absolutely. You're going to have to love him with all of your soul. But you're also going to have to love him with all your mind. Or you're not doing it right. You're not doing it well. And you're going to have to love him with all your strength. Or you're not doing it right. Right? It's a, it's a, a holistic. And, and Paul is calling for a similar holistic understanding of love. To love God this way. And our loving God this way is going to inform the way we love others, which is going to have to be filled with the same kind of knowledge and depth of insight into things. Now to love, we must be informed. We must educate and inform the mind in order to direct the heart and the will in the right direction and to set the heart and the will free. From the chaos and the cacophony of voices that we hear. And now knowledge in this text, and I believe you always have to start here. The knowledge in this text is first and foremost a knowledge of God. When Paul is praying that the church would, that our love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. That it would abound toward God with knowledge. In other words, that it would be a biblical love. That it would be informed by all that the scripture tells us about who God is and what he has done. That our love for God would not be ignorant. That we wouldn't have imaginary idols about who God is in our head and worship idols of what we think about him. But, but we would think biblical thoughts about him. That he would be the God whom he has revealed himself to be. And so to worship him and to love him, we have to inform the mind and the depth of insight into his word and who he is and how he has revealed himself to us. And so this kind of love is the fruit of good theology. It's the fruit of, of biblical study. And he goes a step further. He doesn't just say, let's collect information about God, but he does push us again to uh, all discernment. Some say a depth of understanding, a depth that we would go beyond the bare knowledge where we can tick off true statements to go down actually to a depth of understanding. Insight. Apprehending the inner nature of things. Seeing intuitively into the, the deeper levels of the meaning of something. A knowledge and this depth of insight. Wisdom. We also know that the knowledge of God then informs all other knowledge. That our knowledge of God leads us to worship. Theology leads to doxology. But it also leads to praxis and to practice. That all theology is, is to be applied. All theology is to be lived out. And our understanding that God is love. And that God has loved us in Christ. When we were his enemies, when we were hostile, when we were wayward, when we were messing it up and going the wrong way, God loved us unconditionally and graciously in Christ. And he came for us and he, and he left the throne of heaven and he came into our midst and he wore our flesh and he suffered with us and he suffered for us and he, he loved us. And that love, though, that love informs 
our love. That the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that illumines that knowledge and that spiritual understanding of the Scripture, that same Holy Spirit that illumines us, also empowers us and engraces us to live that kind of love in the midst of our community. To love difficult people can be supernatural. To love in difficult, chaotic situations can be difficult. I was thinking about situations where it's hard to love difficult people or situations and we have to cut through. What does love look like in those situations? I was thinking of some of the movies I've seen about school bullies. You know, and the movies almost always end up, even kids' movies, with a revenge scenario. Getting the bully back. Giving him his due. You know, setting him up. You know, even that little Christmas story, you know, with the kid, he finally nails him and gets on him and pounds on him. Like, that's how you handle the bully. But if it was a Christian story, that's not how the story would go. Because we, our love is informed biblically. And so we know vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we, we would, it would not be a story of vengeance or comeuppance. It would be a story about moving toward the bully, trying to understand the bully. Why is the bully a bully? What's going on in his home? Is there addiction? Is there abuse? Is there neglect? Is he shamed and put down to draw near to him in his pain and his lostness, to understand him so that ultimately we can help him, not only in his home situation, but ultimately hopefully to lead him to Christ. But the only way to get through to the bully is to love him, not beat him, verbally or otherwise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of and the daughters of God, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. That is us. The sons and the daughters of God are, are peacemakers. So as we stand in this moment, what does that look like? And we're going to have to depoliticize it and get less defensive about it if we're going to figure out how to be agents of reconciliation and peacemaking in the midst of this chaos. It requires, peacemaking requires intelligent, wise love standing in the gap. If you want to do ministry to the homeless, to their needs, to maybe rescue them from their plight, their homelessness, from the streets. And ultimately, if you want to lead them to Christ, you're going to need some knowledge and depth of insight. If you approach that ministry and just say, why are these people so lazy? They just need to get a job. You're not going to get very far in a homeless ministry, right? There's some knowledge and depth of insight. The causes of homelessness. To be informed about human brokenness, about poverty, about addiction, about mental illness. We must understand. If we're going to move toward them lovingly, to enter into their suffering, to seek remedy practical steps of resolution and real change. We're going to have to put aside our prejudices and our political biases and get our hands dirty and our hearts soft. And he says that we need all of this 
for these reasons. We need our love to, in verse 10, our, our, to abound with knowledge and discernment so that we can approve what is excellent, not what is politically expedient, not one of the talking points that are out there right now, not a political party line, not our own defensive statements. And we say every time the topic comes up, but so that we can approve what is excellent, biblically be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruits of righteousness. Righteousness in the midst of injustice. And so as we think about applying this, we need to understand that countries and people have blind spots. Sometimes those blind spots are unknown and sometimes those blind spots are willful. We don't want to look in that spot too long. It's uncomfortable. And so sometimes we fail to apply biblical knowledge and insight Across the board. In my experience, most Christians have not done the work to understand the racial tensions that divide our country. So many grew up in the era of racism. And if you know, I'm 55 years old. And the Jim Crow laws were still in effect when I was born. They were still in force. Separate drinking fountains, separate bathrooms, right in the back of the bus. That's 50 years ago. That's not, it's not, there are people sitting here who were alive when that was going on. We tend to know a couple of basic facts. We'll quote a couple of statistics. But most of us just want it to go away. There's nothing to see here. They want you to think there's something to see here, but there's nothing to see here. But racial tensions do have deep historical roots. And those roots have shaped the current social and economic landscape of our country. It is undeniable. The landscape of the country, sociologically, economically, is historically rooted in racism. That's not a political statement. 20 years ago, I bought two black history books and I read them. Right, And I've done enough study on my own. It's the same thing with COVID. I'm trying not to be driven by the politics and to be driven by my own study and understanding what's true. And somehow we need to be able to say what's true without getting political or being accused of being political. It's just true. If you wanted to understand and be a part of the Middle East peace process, you better buy a couple of books. I just finished a book called The Six Days War, where Israel was at war with six of the countries in the Middle East back in the 60s. The tensions there are rooted deep, deep historical. Reconciliation in the Middle East is a long, elusive thing. And race relations in America, we've actually not been pursuing peace that long. Been less than my lifetime. 200 years of slavery. 100 years of oppressive, racist Jim Crow laws that extended into my lifetime. And 50 years has not fixed the socioeconomic brokenness nor healed the deep, deep racial wounds. We like to think they are. Things are better. We can point to things that are better, and they are better. And don't get me wrong. But my friends, 
The protesters are right. Not the rioters, not the looters, but the protesters. I've thought about going down and walking with them. <laughs> I haven't. But I agree. We need to keep this conversation going. We need to pursue as a church. The blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons and the daughters of God. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And our country is radically broken. And we should be able to say something into the midst of it that is knowledgeable and insightful. Into the brokenness. Not wanting to beat the bully. But to understand it's not only not political for us to speak, but to be good Christians and to be good Presbyterians, we must speak. I put the larger catechism question. I can't see a clock. You're in big trouble. I put the question from the larger catechism in your, there's a clock, in your bulletin. It's in your, it's after the slides for the last song if you want to read it. The Westminster Larger Catechism asked a question. In 135, what are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? And that is you shall not murder. What we saw on TV was a murder, an unjust murder, right? And so the question of the catechism, as we as believers seek to keep the Ten Commandments, the most basic, fundamental, moral law given to followers of Christ, the answer is this, the duties required in the Sixth Commandment are first this, critical study, careful studies. It requires careful study. You cannot, you cannot resist injustice. You cannot love well without knowledge and depth of insight. And the first thing that the keeping the commandment not to murder and to fulfill love in life is careful study and lawful endeavors. It means you must be active. You must do something lawfully, not rioting, not looting. Not breaking, not destroying, not setting fires, but, but lawful endeavors. And while we have to say, yes, we do condemn those things, we must at the same time say something, do something. We have to resist all thoughts and purposes, subduing all those passions, those defensive mechanisms and all those whatever political passions and mechanisms that we have, avoiding and subduing all those thoughts and processes and passages, passions. Why? Because they tend to the unjust, anything that, that tends to the unjust taking away of a life. This is our Ten Commandments. This is our larger catechism of the Presbyterian Church. That we are called to careful study, lawful endeavors, and, and subduing all these things. Anything that tends to the unjust taking away of any life of anybody, because we as believers, of all people, can stand. We are so vocal when it comes to the unborn. Why will we not speak for the living and the dying? Clearly and unequivocally. If the church wants to be part of the solution, we have to stop answering every crisis with political talking points. We have to carefully study the ending of unjust taking away of life. For our love to be biblical, it's going to have to be informed and knowledgeable and insightful. Why are they so angry? Why are there so many white people walking with them? Why are they marching in New Zealand? Even they watch a video and know that they can skid up and, and go walk out and say wrong, 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 and it needs to stop. 
Too many of us think we already know the answer. It's just politics. It's just the left. Nothing to see here. But we all saw it. We all saw it. Don't look away. Think Christianly. Think biblically. Feel Christianly. Speak and act Christianly. We have to return to the heart of the Bible, the heart of God, the message of the gospel, the mission of Jesus Christ, and say no to injustice. And so we do have to avoid those two things. I say them quickly. And I say them because when I look at the memes and I read the posts and I, and, I, and I hear some of the dialogue, and I know I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to you. We've got to avoid two things. Our deep-seated political biases. And my friends, I'm telling you, the church is steeped in deep-seated political biases that you and I, with knowledge and depth of insight, need to be able to, with discernment, begin to carve out that which is biblical and just and right and that which is politically motivated and politically stated. Somehow we've got to move away from our political biases and our deep-seated defensiveness. We've got to stop being political spokesmen. Retreating into political rhetoric, taking sides. This culture is so politically indoctrinated and polarized, you can no longer hear the Bible. And when you say anything from the Bible, they say it's left or right, when it's just Bible. We're becoming desensitized and dehumanized because we have talking points. We have to intelligently be able to separate peaceful protesters and legitimate concerns from rioters and looters and politically motivated whatever. We have to parse it. We have to be wise. Take depth of insight. We need to stop being defensive and encourage you to just let your guard down for a moment. Don't defend anything or anyone. Don't defend yourself against accusations of white privilege or whatever else the talking points are. Just put your guard down. And try to hear God speaking into this moment. If Jesus were here, what would Jesus say? Would he argue about white privilege? Would he argue about this, that, or that? You know, is that where Jesus would go? Is that how he would spend his day? Is that what he would put on his Twitter feed? Jesus has better things to say. He has more things to say. He spoke into such situations. He has given us the words, the path, the way. We need to stop assuming that we even understand what is going on. <laughs> Many of us have not done the work. And we have defensive mechanisms deflecting If we stop being political and defensive, we might actually be able to listen. We might actually in inform our minds and our hearts both biblically and historically and culturally. Let me give you a simple practical application if you don't do anything else I say today. If you haven't already read it, read John Piper's book called Bloodlines. 
bloodlines. Race, the cross, and the Christian. I love Piper. He is incisive, insightful, as biblical as any living theologian that we have in the church today. He speaks. He's old enough to have lived through Jim Crow. He is Christian enough to hate racism and speak against injustice. And he lays out so much so helpfully. I encourage you to read it. Bloodlines. You might choose to read some black history. Reading two black history books changed my understanding of my world. So helpful. We need to understand the racial brokenness in our country and the historical roots. We too quickly dismiss the importance of our history in the socioeconomic, racial, legal landscape. I said it already, 200 years of slavery, a hundred years of Jim Crow racism and oppression, and it was nothing else but that. North and South. In the 70s, I was almost, late 70s, I was almost part of a riot in my high school in New Jersey, North New Jersey. The lines were being drawn. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know what to think, but all I knew was to line up with the white people. There's a clip in all the other clips. I am winding up. I said it washes off. I'm looking at it. There's a clip of a protester. There's a line of policemen and a line of protesters. And they're back and forth, right? Where do we fit in there, right? Where, where are blessed are the peacemakers? They're back and forth. And one black guy steps forward close to a white cop. And he's saying some things. And the cop says something back. And you can see the interchange for a minute. And they both turn and walk away from the lines over to the grass and sit down. And they sit and talk. And the camera just watches them over there having the dialogue. And so afterward, the cameraman finds them and asks them, why did you talk to that cop? Why were you over there listening to a cop? And the man answered this. And in many ways, it shames me back to my Bible. He said, if my goal is for them to love me, why would I hate them? Oh, dear God. That sentence is just stuck with me. And I know that's not everybody's goal, but for most of the peaceful protesters, they could probably articulate it. We just want the same justice, the same treatment. We just want to be treated the same or in different circumstances. We just, if my goal is for them to love me, why would I hate them? We need to learn to think biblically, Christianly. We need to broaden our knowledge and our depth of insight into the perhaps trite statement, what would Jesus do? And that's not always a bad question. It's a limited question, but not a bad one. God loved us. The God who is love 
loved us unconditionally and sacrificially. I'm praying Ephesians 3 is Paul's prayer where he says, I'm praying for love to abound more and more. He also says in Ephesians 3, then may we have strength. And this is where the love to abound. May we have strength for the love to abound more and more. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This love that surpasses knowledge is like an ocean. It's something you can't even understand. It's so big. It's so broad. It's so wide. It's so deep. You can't. You can swim in it. You can swim in it and get lost in it. You can drown in it. Would we understand? I'm praying that the church would, would understand this love that is beyond understanding. It's so big. It's so deep. And then as 1 John 4, as John chimes in, he says, we love because he first loved us. And when we're swimming in it, when we're sw literally swimming in it, the love of God, would we not out of it love even as we have been loved? unconditionally and sacrificially. I'm praying that our love would abound more and more so that we can approve what is excellent and the church will remain pure and blameless and filled with the fruits of righteousness and bringing glory to praise to God in this moment in our history. What does the church of Jesus Christ have to say that is not defensive and that is not political, but is the genuinely Christian biblical thing to say? Let us figure it out and let us say it unequivocally, loudly, with our whole life. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And we ask that you would have mercy on us this morning. We've gathered in the sun, in the heat, to worship, to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We ask that you would come near and have mercy on us this morning, that we would not just gather information, but that we would have hearts full of transformation. Minds that are being renewed according to your word and according to knowledge and depth of insight that we would be Christians, incisive and insightful in the midst of chaos and darkness for the glory of your name and the good of the world in which you have left us. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.